You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Welcome you today. If you are new with us, uh, I am preaching the second part of a two-part series about two things that Jesus said were important. How many would know when Jesus says something is important, we should listen? We shouldn't just listen, but we should do. How many know that the do part is the harder part? The listening part is like, you know, it's kind of like when you were a kid growing up, you listened to your parents, but you didn't always do what your parents told you to do. Maybe at your workplace, you might listen to your supervisor. You may not always do what your supervisor tells you to do. But who we're talking about today, we're talking about our Lord and Savior. We're talking about the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're talking about the very Son of God who redeemed us, who saved us, and set us apart for his purposes. I don't know about you, but if he says something's important, I really want to pay attention to that. Not only listen to it, but I want to do my best to do it. Amen? So we're in part two of the message. Last week I talked about God's incredible love for us. And the first commandment from Matthew 22 that Jesus said was the most important was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And if you read that same passage in the book of Mark chapter 12, it says with all your strength. So noticing that we're to love him with all of those parts of who we are. And that there isn't to be one part of our life that we exclude from loving God, but we're to give him our all in every occasion. We also talked about how if we allow our love for God to grow cold, if we allow our love for God to fade and wane, then there's a danger that we'll not only lose our faith, and lose our fervor, but there's a danger that we may not even make it to heaven ourselves. That we have to love him with our all. He said that uh, in the end times, in the last days, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. And then he says, but those who stay faithful to the end shall be saved. So we need to be careful that we don't lose our love for God. Our love for God is essential because we've also know that there are times that we won't change ourselves even though we've tried. Even though our wives have maybe asked us to change. Maybe your mom or dad have asked you to change. Maybe your family and your friends say, man, you need to change. And you go, yeah, yeah, I know I need to change. But quite honestly, change will not occur if you're doing it for other people. It won't even occur if you do it for your pastor. But it will occur if God moves on your heart to change. There's something inside that says, you know, out of the love for God, I want to change and experience his transforming power at work within me. The love for God is essential because it's our love for God that fuels the love for other people. If we don't love God, we're going to find it really hard to love other people. Two important things come to mind here. So if we look at Matthew chapter 22, let's look together. Jesus was asked by a teacher of the law or a lawyer, what was the, what is the most important commandment? Which one had the greatest weight? What was it considered the, the, the most important, the greatest commandment of all of Scripture? And Jesus gives him not one but two. And so he mentions them and says it in this way in Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40. He says, then one of them, a teacher, a, excuse me, a lawyer, asked him the question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen? Most Christians have no problem with the first part. Find it very easy to love God, don't we? You come on a Sunday morning, you love God. You turn your worship music on and you worship in the morning and you do your devotions and you sip your coffee. You love God. But loving people, that's where many of us trip up, myself included. Loving people is hard, especially loving people you don't even like. But in this verse, we find a key to how we should really love. Last week, we learned that the word for love in the Greek here, where it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, that word for love, that action verb is agapesis, which has the root word in it, the word agape, which you maybe have heard before. And the word agape means unconditional love. Now, consider this meaning as we read this passage again with the words unconditional love in it. It says, the two greatest commandments are these, unconditionally love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and unconditionally love your neighbor as you love yourself. This means we don't put conditions on who we choose to show God's love to. Now, that certainly puts it in a whole new light, doesn't it? It kind of challenges with the kind of love that we need to have. Now, some might ask, well, who is my neighbor? Who should I love? Do I get to choose who I love? And from a worldly perspective, the answer would be yes. You can absolutely choose who you want to love and who you not want to love from just a kindness and gentleness and just a a brotherly love sort of perspective. For us, it's easy to love people that we like. It's easy for us to love people that we feel like we have some kind of connection with. It's not easy to love people that kind of rub us the wrong way. So from a worldly perspective, we might say, well, I can pick and choose who I love. The Scripture says, unconditionally love your neighbor the same way that you would love yourself. Jesus was posed the same question, who is my neighbor, by a certain man. It may very well be the same man here in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37 says this, but the man wanting to justify himself to Jesus said, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road And when he saw him, he passed to the other side. Likewise, the Levite, when he arrived to the same place, came and looked and passed by the other side as well. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So he asked the man, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the man said, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. 
Jesus challenges this man with a story. It's a story of a Jewish man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the road he encounters robbers who take all that he has, who beats him and leaves him for dead. And you know the story, we just read it. It says that a priest came by, and when he saw the man lying in the road, he walked to the other side, completely avoiding him. A Levite came, and when he, saw him, he, when he saw the man on the road, he also, too, crossed over and walked on the other side of the road without paying attention to the man or doing anything for him. Some scholars believe that one of the reasons for this is because they didn't know if the man was dead or not. And if he was dead, then priests and Levites didn't want to defile themselves by touching a body that was unclean. They didn't want to even take the chance. But the Samaritan stopped for him. It brings up an interesting question that's not asked in the Scriptures, but it's something that we should consider when we read this passage. How many of us avoid people and avoid sharing the gospel with people that we consider are already as good as dead? People that we think that are beyond the grace of God, that are beyond God's saving power to work in their life. We look at them and they, we look at their immorality. We look at their lack of righteousness. We look at their rough demeanor. We look at how they are. And maybe they've even expressed their discontent and hate for God. And you think to yourself, that person's as good as dead. Why bother even showing compassion? Why bother even sharing the gospel with them? There's a danger there where we can avoid someone who desperately needs to hear about the love of God. There are sometimes people that we consider to be dead because there's no way that they could ever be saved. You know, there was a time in Jesus' day where people thought the Apostle Paul or the man named Saul of Tarsus was a man like that, a man who could never, ever possibly be saved. And yet, someone did. Someone reached out to him. And because they did, we have three quarters of the New Testament that we read today. And he is considered one of the greatest saints of Scripture. Jesus answered the question of who truly was a neighbor by pointing out the actions of a Samaritan, a man and a kind of people that the Jewish people didn't like very much. The Samaritan gave freely, showed compassion, loved richly and generously by his actions for someone he didn't even know. And even more so for someone, if this man who was beaten left for dead was even conscious, might even have some reluctance to let a Samaritan even help him. But how many know when you're desperate and near death, you'll accept help from anyone? And he didn't even receive help from his own countrymen, but a least likely place is where he received it. Who is my neighbor? Well, anyone who is hurting and in need. Who is a good neighbor? The one who offers help. Where is my neighbor? You might ask that question. Well, step outside your door and look. Your neighbors are all around you. Now, sometimes we like our privacy and we don't want to bother with our neighbors, except when they make too much noise or blow leaves into our yard. Then all of a sudden we have an interest in our neighbor, but our neighbors are literally all around us. The opportunities God has put before us are all around us. All you have to do is open your front door and look. There are barriers today that I think were present in Jesus' day which keep us from being good neighbors, which keep us from showing the love of God to others. Things that were present in Jesus' day that are present today. 
One of the things that was a barrier to people, everyday people receiving the love of God was, number one, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. These were Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders who taught the people and pride themselves on their own personal righteousness. They were people that prided themselves on how well they followed the scriptures, even the most minute detail of the word. And they pride themselves on not knowing it, following it, and everybody recognizing them for their own righteousness. These same people also said there are certain people that belong uh, in the in crowd. There are certain people that belonged with the religious people. And then there was those that were outside of religion and outside of God's faith and favor. People who like tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and, and Samaritans and people that didn't know God. Those people were not fit to be in with us. And so because of their self-righteousness, they separated people from the rest of those that could receive God's love and God's grace. They were considered to be outcasts. The outcasts consisted, too, of those who were sick and lame and, and paralyzed and, or experienced leprosy of some kind. They were outside, by many's estimation, of what God had planned for them. Can I tell you that we should take a lesson from Jesus' life that the people that Jesus spent the most time with were people that others the religious and the self-righteous considered not good enough to be around the love of God. Jesus' ministry thrived to the people that others considered to be outcasts. And so we have to be careful that we don't let our own righteousness, what God's done in our life, the things that we know and the things that we've experienced, to keep us from being compassionate towards those who don't know who God is. Listen, we're Christians, we're recipients of God's grace, but there was a day you didn't know who Jesus was. And there was a day that you weren't in too great a shape spiritually. But someone showed you grace, someone showed you love and compassion, and as a result of it, you are now saved and you're walking with the Lord. But what a strange and odd thing it would be that we've gotten to a place in our life that we are so thankful for what God's done in our lives and we, that we'd ever become like a Pharisee and say, well, I thank God that I'm not like this person. I thank God I'm not like that person. I thank God that I'm not like my neighbor. Thank God I'm not like my coworker. I'm glad that, you know, I know you, God, and, and other people don't know you. And some people aren't worth my time and my energy. May we never get to that place where we are so uh, accomplished in our own Christianity that we consider people beyond our reach and beyond God's reach. May that never happen to us. Another reason is fear. People are afraid. Fear of people, can I just tell you this? Write this down if you don't remember anything else from the message today. Fear of people is the antithesis to evangelism. Being afraid of people is the antithesis to evangelism. You can't share the love of God with people if you're afraid to be around them. Sometimes our fear comes from a fear of rejection or a fear of what they will say or do. Can I tell you that even in the beginnings of Christianity that there was fear as well? Fear of religious re leaders, fear of Rome, fear of rejection, fear of exclusion. But they went out anyway. Can I just stop and say that to you anyway? Yes, they were afraid. Yes, they knew that there would be risk, but they went out anyway in the power of the Holy Spirit 
and the love of God, and they shared the gospel. You have to let your love be greater than your fear. Your love for God exercised in obedience to share the gospel with those who don't know God. And your love for people, regardless of how they're going to react, has to be present. You can't say to yourself, well, I would share the love of God. I would share the gospel with someone, but I'm afraid of how they're going to react. I'm afraid that they're going to treat me differently. I'm afraid they're going to look at me differently. And can I just tell you that Jesus said that that would happen. And it shouldn't surprise you, nor should it deter you. Will you throw out the possibility that some might be saved because of those who might reject you? There will always be those who reject the gospel, but there will always be people that believe as well. You don't know how it's going to happen. Do you want to throw out the chance for them to know God and receive his salvation just because you are afraid? Everyone deserves a chance to hear the gospel. God's mission must be stronger than any condition we have. God's mission must be stronger than any condition we have. Can I be transparent with you? Sometimes I'm too much so to my detriment. But there's some times that I feel inadequate too. There's times I feel inadequate to be your pastor. Meeting new people in the community can be scary. Being asked to speak, being asked to pray, do a funeral, a memorial service, an invocation for people I don't know. And honestly, there's a part of me that is intimidated by that. There's times where my introvert nature, which is the nature to keep to myself and to keep quiet, wants to run away from that scary and intimidating situation. There are some mornings where the church might even be full and there's new people, and I want so badly to do a good job for the Lord that I almost short-circuit myself. The overwhelming thoughts come in, what if they don't like it? What if they don't come back? Is what I prepared even good? My insecurities and fears sometimes try to mess with me. But when those things happen, I need to stop myself, pray, and look to God for the strength to go through with it. And God always blesses it. Can I challenge you with that? That there's going to be times where you are going to, your heart is going to feel like you're going to beat out of your chest when you want to share the gospel with someone. There's going to be times where you're like, God speaks to you to tell somebody about his love or to just go and pray with someone, and you do that internal wrestling match with should I do it, should I not do it? I don't want to look silly or foolish. What if they say yes or what if they say no? And can I just challenge you to say that happens. And there's times you just want to run away from it all, but if you push through and punch through it, God will bless it. But you can't Be evangelistically and missions-minded if you're always scared of people. You can't be afraid of people and reach people with the gospel. May God help us that our love for our own self and our comfort not be greater than our love for those who are lost. And yes, there are times we deal with real anxiety and other things like that. And there's times where you have to kind of push through What would it be like if I didn't show up for three Sundays in a row? Because I had a moment. 
because I didn't feel like I could handle seeing you guys' faces or I didn't think what I was bringing was good. What kind of message would that send to you? But I push through and bring what God's given me to bring you because I know you're going to be blessed by it. I know it's his word and his word will never return empty. There are other things that Jesus dealt with in his day. Don't think that there weren't problems back then, too. We sometimes think that the world that we're in was just so much worse than it was back in Jesus' day, you know. But can I just challenge you with a couple real quick thoughts? Like, if you were blind and lame, you were just left on the side of the road to fend for yourself. There was no disability. There was no Medicare. There was no help plan for you. Usually you're just left out there and... You know, people left you to die. So we sometimes think, well, things weren't pre- the things that we deal with today weren't present in Jesus' day. But you know there was racism in Jesus' day? When Jesus often included the, you know, a Samaritan in the story, it was to rile the Jewish people up. Because they were, didn't like the Samaritans because the Samaritans were not pure-blood uh, Jewish. They were of mixed race. And it was a reminder uh, to them of their time in captivity in Babylon. So many people hated the Samaritans. They hated the There's political issues going on. Rome was in charge. They hated Rome. There's people that were loyal to Rome, and there's people that wanted to see revolution. They wanted to see the, the Jewish people rise up. And the, there was differences of opinion about, you know, how should things be, the what should things be. There was tensions of different kinds but yet still, they had to love people, even people that were different than they were. There was distrust and division. In Jesus' day, too, people didn't trust each other. People were divided. They had different opinions on things. That is true today, too. I don't think I've ever lived in a time in my lifetime where we don't trust anyone anymore. We don't trust what's being said to us. And even if you're talking with a friend and they'll, they'll share something with you, you question where they got that from. And you'll argue and you'll fight. And so it's gotten to the point now, yes, there's deception in the world that we live in today. But now we don't trust anything from anywhere. We don't even trust our neighbor. So we think to ourselves, well, what are they up to? What are they going to try and pull? What's going to happen to me? Can I just tell you today that to live passionately with abandon for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't look at people with suspicion. And there may come a day where you might get thrown in prison for sharing Christ with the wrong person, but it's not because Jesus didn't warn you about that. But if we start treating people with suspicion and we say the only people that are worth being saved are the people that share our politics, then we're only going to reach half of this world for the gospel. When in reality, 100% of this world needs to know the gospel. The church is not about bringing people who are like us all together so we can have a potluck as wonderful as those are. Our own Karen McMaster does a good job putting that together. But like that's not why, it's not why he did it. He didn't bleed on the cross and give of his spirit so we could pick and choose who's worth God's love. Only some are worthy of it. And we say, let's try and change their mind about the other things 
before we try and speak to them about Jesus. As though that's the way it goes. Can I challenge you with the thought that if we bring people to the love of God and let him change them, then their mindset will change. They'll start to see things that are wrong and start to change their views on life, on politics, on the way that they live, on the family dynamic, on all the issues that we consider to be important today. If the love of God is at work within their heart, it will change who they are. Jesus didn't play into those arguments. And you see that there's people that tried to bring him into that. Talks about the woman at the well, and they're like, well, I'm a man, you're a man, I'm a woman, we shouldn't be talking. I, you're, a, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we're of different races, and you know, we shouldn't be interacting with each other, and they bring up differences of doctrine and religion. People who try and bring Jesus into political debate and say, you know, Jesus, uh, here is a you know, who should we give to? Should we give taxes to Caesar or not? They tried to draw him into those discussions and those disagreements. And you know what Jesus did? He had no part of it. He was so wise that he would answer stupid questions with wise ones. Like questions that they were trying to trip people up. And don't you know when you pray and you ask God about something, when you ask him a question, you know what he does in prayer? He asks you a question that you know the answer to that answers all of it. Right? It's like, God, why can't I get breakthrough in this area? He's like, well, why do you think you can't get breakthrough in this area? And he puts his finger on it. You're like, oh, right, that. It's like, change that, and you'll see breakthrough. It's like, okay. Yeah, but God, why? We have our disagreements and everything. God wants us to change people with the love of God and the gospel. These things were all present in Jesus' day, but how did Jesus show love in the world that he lived in? Well, first of all, he went to where people were. You notice that? You know, most religious leaders and rabbis, you went to a school to be taught from by them. You went to where the rabbi dwelt, you spent time with the rabbi, and he instructed you, and, and you followed his teaching, and that's where you went. Jesus is interesting because he's an itinerant rabbi. An itinerant teacher. He goes to different places. And he doesn't just go to the most fancy places. He doesn't just go to the the synagogue. He doesn't just go to the temple. He goes everywhere. He goes to the wilderness. He goes where people are. He goes goes to where, uh, where lepers and demoniacs are. And he just goes wherever they go. And so wherever, you know, one of the things we need to get a hold of is that when Jesus was dealing with a, a, a world full of weird dynamics is that he went to where people were. He wasn't afraid of them. He didn't say, well, that's where the bad people are. He went to where they were and ministered there. When it comes to evangelism and outreach, we have to go where the people are. As Christians, we're meant to be actively thinking about being a blessing wherever we go. So you being a blessing and you being a Christian is not limited to this building. Aren't you thankful for that? I hope that you, you don't like, hopefully there's a time card by the door. that you, you remember the old time cards? You don't do that anymore, but I remember the days where you had the, your time card and you put it in there and, and stamp the day and the date and the time on there. You don't punch out of being a Christian when you leave at 1130 on Sunday morning. 
It's an everyday thing. Can you punch in at the beginning of the day by acknowledging the Lord with your beginning of your day? Can you punch out at the end of the day and say, you know, Lord, I thank you for this day. Cover me while I sleep. But you don't stop being a Christian at any given point in time. I want to encourage you, be on assignment for the Lord wherever you are. You might think you're going grocery shopping today. But you're not just going grocery shopping if you have an evangelistic mindset. If the love of God is central to your life, you're not just going to the grocery store. Your conversations should be intentional. If you're going out to dinner, you're not just going out to dinner. You hope to bless your server or bless the host or hostess. My wife had to hold me back a little bit because I don't want to say, should I say something to this down but your mind tends to work that way you know where can i be wherever you go whatever you do whoever you interact with whether you're going to your workplace or whether you're going to your neighborhood like sometimes we're kind of like people wave to us and then we're like hey hey we'll see you later and we go back in the house you know or we just rip and put the lawnmower going loud again and off we go i gotta mow this lawn but what if you thought about your life and said here's an opportunity that the lord's given me and the lawn can wait. What if I, I took time and I shared the love of God with that person? What if I was supernaturally natural? What if I allowed the Lord to speak to me words of knowledge and words of wisdom and words of prophecy? And not to be like weird, like your eyes roll back in your head and you tremor or whatever. <laughs> I got something. I've got a word for you. No. And it's just like, man, like, man don't have to be weird. Here's how you do it. You say, you know, i you know, I was just thinking of you today, and I just have an encouragement in my heart that I feel like God wants to say to you. Can I share that with you? And then you bring it to them with accuracy and completeness and, and, and prophetic insight, and you say, how did you know that? And you don't have to say, well, God showed me. Ooh. No, it doesn't have to be like that. It'd be like, you know, God just wants you to know that he loves you. Can I pray for you right now? Oh, my gosh, yes, let's pray. Sometimes they get weirded out, they will. No matter how nice you try and deliver it, sometimes they will get weirded out. But other times you'll see tears run down their face. Other times they'll be visibly moved. Other times they'll be so encouraged by you if you were just faithful to do those things. Be on assignment wherever you go. Secondly, Jesus actively cared about them and their need. Whenever, wherever he was, when people came to him, and believe me, people were always coming to Jesus. People were always interrupting his day. Like he's on his way somewhere, people are pushing through the crowd trying to touch him. He's on his way somewhere and there's two blind men shouting at him from the side and, and people are telling him, be quiet, the master's busy, he doesn't have time for you. And Jesus goes, hold on, who's calling my name? Stop, ministered to them, healed them. What if we were less busy? What if we didn't look at every interruption as an inconvenience? What if we looked at every opportunity that is presented to us as a, as a chance to show forth the love of God to somebody in a real and tangible way? Jesus was never too busy for anyone to stop and meet their need. He was thoroughly invested in what they were saying to him, what they were sharing with him. And he found time to encourage them. He found time to pray for them. He found time to, to give them words that they needed to hear. He, he healed them. He ministered to them where they were. What if we approach things that way, that, you know, that same compassion, that same listening to someone's need was there in us instead of us being so incredibly busy 
that we miss it and instead took time for them to listen, to pray, to encourage. Another thing Jesus did is he always spoke the truth and love. Jesus never shied away from the truth of Scripture. He never avoided the subject even when there was tough questions. When something wasn't right, he addressed it in a loving but firm approach. You see, Christians get the firm part right, <laughs> but the loving part not so much. You see, it was Jesus' love that opened the door for him to speak truth. In the case of Nicodemus, a tax collector, when Jesus saw him and invited himself to eat at his house, this was something that no one else wanted to do. But Jesus invited himself to the house of a sinful, cheating tax collector to honor him and spend time with him. And it says the man's heart changed after that. Nicodemus says, if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to return back four times what I've cheated people of. Why? Because someone cared about him and took time for him. It was the love of God that preceded the truth of God. If we can get that arrangement correct, then we will see God at work in somebody's life. When Jesus interacted with the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery, he didn't bring forth judgment, but rather he showed love and compassion first, sparing them judgment and embarrassment. But then he didn't just leave it there. He gently and lovingly addressed the things that needed to be changed in their life. And because of Jesus' love and compassion, they were willing to receive what he said. Sometimes truth is easier to receive when you know the person who is sharing it loves you. I'll say it again. Sometimes truth is easier to receive, even hard truth, when you know that the person who is sharing it loves you. Jesus always had the Father's words on his lips, and he went with the intention of bringing truth to people in love. Do we look for opportunities in our daily life, in our daily interactions to share with people God's truth? Not in an obnoxious way, but in a loving way. Like when you know you're going to get together with your good friend that you've known for over 10 years for lunch, do you think to yourself, how can I find a way to bring God into this in not a weird or awkward sort of way? And how do you do that? You don't, listen, Lord help me. There's not two sets of, of dialogue in you. There's not like the things you say among Christians, which are filled with cliches, and then there's the things that you say among non-Christians that have been scrubbed from the truth. There shouldn't be two parts of you. I know we're flesh and spirit, but in terms of the way that we carry ourselves, there shouldn't be two parts of us in our interactions and dealing with people. Who we are is who we are. And so when we talk with people, like, do we think to ourselves, I'm getting together with this good friend of mine. They're not a Christian. How can I find a way to bring God into it. And it doesn't have to be like the latest, you know, hot button issue or anything like that. You say, you know, I was praying about something and God really just spoke to my heart about this. Or, you know what I found? You know, I was going through something similar, but you know what encouraged me? This verse that's found in Psalms and you recite the, the word in Psalms. You don't have to bring o- break open the Bible and start a Bible study right there, but like just bring something that's insightful, hopeful, truthful, bring a spiritual truth into the situation and the conversation. What if when a friend told you about what they're going through and the difficulty they're facing, if you stopped right there and said, hey, can I pray for you? And I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. Like, no, no, I mean like right now. 
<laughs> and sometimes they'll be like, ah, no, I'm good. Other times they'll be like, yeah, okay. How powerful it is when you can pray for that person right there. How powerful it is when God shows you what to pray with that person at that exact moment. And you could just minister to their heart and their spirit. God is doing a work in them at that exact moment. But does that even enter our vocabulary? Does that even enter our conversation? Sometimes the answer is no. Love others the way that you would want to be loved. That's the standard to apply. Do we speak to others the way we would want to be spoken to? Do we treat others the way that we would want to be treated to? I, I can honestly say there's some Christians I've interacted with who can be so curt, short, and rude. that I, I, as you're, Sometimes as a Christian, I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> like, what do I do with that, you know? Like, are you mad at me or we're no longer friends? Like, why the attitude? Like, what's going on here? And, like, you should treat people the way that you want to be treated. To love others as you love yourself means however I would want to be treated, however I would want to be spoken to, is the way that I am going to communicate God's love to other people. Ministry and evangelism is impossible without love. It's impossible to serve people if you don't love people. It's impossible to serve people if you don't have a desire to see God do something in their life. It's impossible to serve if you don't love people with God's love because otherwise serving people will become frustrating and discouraging. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever serve in a ministry? You ever serve in a church? You ever get burnt out? It's because at a certain point you did it out of love, but then people frustrated and disappointed you. Sometimes they'll be noncommittal. Sometimes they'll be unappreciative. And the thing that you used to do for God that you did with joy, you don't longer do because it's now frustrating to you. And then you start to get kind of a little irritated with people and maybe a little jaded towards people, especially when you help people that can't help themselves. And that sometimes will color things for you and it'll change the way that you view people. But let me remind you why you did it in the first place. Did you do it for them you know, you did it for the Lord, and the Lord gave you the desire to help them. So can I challenge you to go back to loving him and let him reinstitute a desire to love them again, and that will be the place of your service. Or sometimes God gives you a love for something new and someone new to help a different people that you didn't help before. I was really struck by the idea of God's love and service and evangelism at National Youth Convention. And one of the speakers was talking about how easily we give up sharing the gospel with people around us, especially when they reject our presentation of Christ. Sometimes we take that rejection personally and give up trying to share our faith with that person again. Then he shared story after story of high school students who made the commitment to be campus missionaries, to be people who were consistently kind and compassionate and shared the truth of Jesus with their classmates all through their high school years. Many of them were rejected, argued with, or called out of touch. And then he shared stories about the results of these students' efforts that sometimes took place years later. How down the road, many classmates that had rejected the message of Jesus in high school later became Christians when someone else shared the gospel with them. And then he shared this interesting statistic that the average person needs to hear the gospel six to seven times before they accept Jesus. And he asked the question, do we give up too soon? 
You could be the person that shares Jesus with them that sixth or seventh time and see them say yes to Jesus. Or you could be the first person who plants the seed of the gospel in their life and they hear the message of the cross for the first time. Or you could be the fourth or fifth person that waters what someone has already planted. But don't give up being part of the process. Just because you shared Jesus with somebody once and they said no, doesn't mean that you shouldn't share Jesus with anyone ever again. Even if it's a bad experience. It is exactly what Jesus said it would be. It is exactly what the gospel writers said it would be. So it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means that there's opposition to us in this world. A woman once criticized famous evangelist D.L. Moody for his methods of reaching people with the gospel. And she said quite plainly, I don't like the way that you share the gospel. And his reply was interesting. He says, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me, how do you do it? And the woman replied, I don't do it. To which Moody responded, well then, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Right? Everyone has a problem with the way the gospel is shared, but are we sharing it? Are we being compassionate? Aren't people worth it? You're sitting here today because someone, against the possibility of rejection, against the possibility of you not being their friend anymore, at the, the potential of you being ostracized from your own family because your family, maybe they shared it with you and you weren't for Someone took a risk, really, to share it with you. And you heard it and you believed it and you said, yes, you're sitting here in this room today because of that. Do you realize that you, we wouldn't know each other if it weren't for that person that told you about the gospel? If it wasn't for that person that against all uh, possibility of rejection decided, I'm going to go for it anyway. And, you know, no matter what happens, happens Someone shared it with you, and because of it, you know Jesus today. Because of it, you're saved, and you're redeemed by Christ, and you are going to heaven, and you're going to spend eternity with him and with every other believer that's ever known the Lord before then till now. You're going to be with them forever, and that's a wonderful thing. But how dare we ever get to the point where we go, I should pick and choose who should and shouldn't receive God's love. Someone received it. We received it because someone took a risk. Are you willing to take a risk. God's love says keep praying, keep serving, keep sharing the good news of Jesus. Never forget that someone shared the gospel once with you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself means that you want to love your neighbor and the people around you so that they experience God's love too. To do that, you have to look at your neighbor differently and you have to see them with the Father's love. As I wrap this up, I want to challenge you with this thought. Maybe you need to say, God, forgive me for not loving people the way I used to. God, forgive me for loving you and loving them at first, but now it's gotten difficult, and now I just don't even like serving people. I don't even like sharing the gospel. My frustration and criticism takes primary thought from me. That's all I talk about. God, forgive me for not loving people the way you love them. 
and then praying, God, give me a love for all people, saved and unsaved, lost and found. Help me to see people with your eyes, full of compassion and sadness, wanting to see them saved. Lord, help me to love fully, generously, selflessly, and unconditionally. Help me to love people, Jesus, without expecting anything in return. Just resign yourself to the fact that you'll never receive recognition, a thank you, appreciation, or any of those things. That, like, if you're doing it so that you can say, hey, I checked the box, and my name is going to be inscribed on some wall somewhere, or someone's going to hand me a certificate, or someone's going to recognize me for what I've done, and if that's the motivation for doing it, Jesus says, if you get that in this life, you won't get anything up there because you've received your thanks already. So we're not doing it for the recognition. We must have that agapesis, unconditional love that says, I don't want anything from them. I don't care if, they, if they, I can network with them, they can give me things or because they're wealthy or well-off or whatever. I, I don't care what they can give you, but doing it because God's love is in you and he has given you a love for each other. Lord, give me the courage to share your gospel truth with them. Help me to speak and to look for opportunities to share. Maybe today that's where you're at. Maybe today you've been a Christian for a while and you attend church and, you know, and faith has always been a private thing. But one of Jesus' commands is to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. He said that to all of us, not just his disciples. So there's a command for us to follow. He said these two important things, everything in the Bible hangs on loving God and loving people. It will define way you, the way you treat people, and it will define whether or not you reach and serve people or not. Can I challenge you today with the heart to love God and follow him today and to allow God to give you a love for, for people once more? I wonder if we can end this time together with just bowing our heads without looking around. Maybe God's speaking to you today. And you say, you know what? I love God. It's easy for me to love God but I have a real problem with people. And maybe God needs to give you a renewed love for people once more. There are probably difficult people in your life, sometimes in your own family. But can you see them with the way that God sees them? Can you love them the way God loves them? And if you can do that, it won't matter if they reject you because God's love is sufficient to carry you he is able to strengthen you in that. But if that's what you're dealing with today, say, so, you know, Lord, I need a renewed love for people once more. I need to love them like you love them without anyone looking around. And I'm not going to call anybody. But just say, Pastor, pray for me. That's me. Raise your hand. Say, I need to love people again. That's really hard. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? God, help me to love people. Thank you. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. First of all, we want to thank you for your great love for us, your unconditional love. It's always the love that you've brought to us. And so, God, we just thank you that you didn't put conditions upon our salvation. You just said, believe and receive, and we did. And so today, Lord God, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. 
Lord, we want to love you with all of our being, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Lord, we find it easy to love you, but we find it difficult to love others. Help us to love the people in our families who are hard and difficult, who have sometimes said unkind things to us because of our faith and our devotion to you. Help us to still love them and not be angry with them. Lord, help us to love the people that in this world are are incredibly wicked and do terrible things, Lord God. Even people that we disagree with politically, Lord God, we sometimes are tempted to demonize those people. Lord, they might even be struggling with that themselves. But Lord God, you still died for them too. Help us to love and pray for them so that they would experience breakthrough. Lord, help us to love our coworkers. Lord God, the people that we hang out with, the people that we laugh with, the people we enjoy their company at lunchtime, but they don't even know we're a Christian, help us to be able to find a way to include you in the conversation, Lord God. Not in a weird way, not in a forceful or judgmental way, but just in a loving and gracious way. Lord, I pray today, give us a love for your people. For those of us who are serving in this church, help us to love people and to treat them well. Help us to love our community and to reach out with compassion. Lord, move us out of our seats and into the world we live in today. And Lord, help us to do it, Lord, with your honor and glory in mind. And Lord, may we see people receive you and change for the better. Help us with this, Lord. We are so weak and frail in our own rights. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us by your spirit to do this. We ask this all in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.